Okay, starting. Hey, Bobcats, and welcome to the newsletter's first ever podcast interview with Tyler, not Gregson. So, to all of our listeners, welcome. Thank you for being here. I hope you're all doing wonderfully, and a very special welcome to Tyler, not Gregson. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. In case you missed it, Tyler is a local poet and photographer with six poetry books, which is just incredible, <laughs> and an absolutely stunning photography from all around the world. So now that we've gotten that little rundown out of the way, let's start simple. How are you today? I'm good. It's I, This is my favorite weather ever. So I hate blue sky days. So when it's cloudy and rainy, I'm just, I feel so much better. Spontaneity of Montana weather. Exactly. And perfect timing. Exactly. So we have collected quite a few questions for this interview, just kind of all sent in by members of the student body. Um... About your career and life, so whenever you're ready, we can just get straight into it. I'm it. I'm ready. Let's do it. So, starting off, did you always know that you wanted to be a writer and photographer as your career? Um, I always knew. I, I always knew that I needed to write. I think that's what I would say. I think I started writing when I was really young, just because my brain is a really weird, weird place. And so I didn't really fit into the way that school worked most of the time. And so writing was my own little secret thing that I could do when I was supposed to be taking notes or doing class. I would just write and it would make me feel better. And it would make, because most of the time I just felt like I wanted to run out of the classroom. And so writing gave me kind of like a little safe, quiet place that I could just say what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it. I didn't have to follow the rules or anything. Um, as far as I never thought it would lead to a career, especially because when I was in, in school, I think it's probably even changed since then. Teachers were way more like you have to get a job that pays well and you have to do this and, you know, don't go to college for something silly. And, and so writing was a thing. I mean, I had teachers that were like, you'll never make a career out of writing. Don't even try. Like the, there's no money there. And I would always just think, well, I don't really care about that. It just makes me feel better. So that's what I wanted to do. But I honestly never thought a career would come out of it. And also not with photography. It was just something I loved doing. I never thought that I could, you know, make a living or travel the world doing it. But it happened that way. And so I'm glad. Yeah. And that honestly kind of perfectly leads into our next question. So when you were figuring all this out and you found yourself really wanting to be a poet and photographer as a career, how did you overcome this sort of like these societal idolizations or norms that what you wanted to do wasn't necessarily a logical career choice because you wouldn't make enough money or you weren't quote unquote talented. Sure. Honestly, I, I kind of fell into everything. Um, I'm somewhere on the autism spectrum. And so I always knew that having like a normal job would be really tough for me and like going to an office, having a set hours and, so always my, my real goal was to figure out a way to make a living and support myself and eventually a family and not have to do all those things. And so once I started figuring out that maybe there was a chance with photography and with writing that, you know, despite what everybody said, that there's no money in that and it's not a real job, that there is a way and that, you know, creatives and artists, they can make their way in the world where you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or there are little spaces that people can disappear into and still do well for themselves. And 
I think once I started seeing that and started seeing that, hey, I'm paying my bills with this, it gave me a little bit more confidence and peace to kind of distance myself further from like a traditional job and from that traditional world. And I think that was it. It was just like a big snowball effect. Like once I started seeing that it was possible, it gave me way more confidence to just keep going for it. So I think that's what it was. It was, it was just like this slow snowball where I never thought it would be possible. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, wait, there, you can do this. Like you don't have to, you don't have to follow the same road everyone else has walked down. Yeah. And that's, I think, really great advice because the world needs artists as just as much as it needs intellectuals to really bring out the sides of society that you don't get. Absolutely. Becoming a doctor or a lawyer, not that they aren't beautiful. Yes. Great lives. So our next question was actually one that was pretty frequently asked. So what kinds of things influenced you in your career and as you just kind of developed and became who you are today? Um... I think reading a lot. I think that was one of the biggest ones. I've read a lot ever since I was a little kid. I've just loved to read. And I think that that was one of my biggest influences was, was I was so inspired by the way that other people could make words come together and dance and, and almost sometimes seem playful or sometimes seem dark. And I always thought that writing was one of the hardest arts because you only have the same 26 letters in the English language. You know, everybody has access to the same ones. It's not like, you know, if you're a, if you're a really great photographer, you can, and you get paid for that, you can buy the nicest equipment money can buy and like the nicest lenses money can buy. And that really does influence how, how good your product is. Do you know what I mean? So if you're using a cell phone to shoot a wedding, it's going to look much different than if you use the cameras that we use. But with writing, everybody gets those same 26 letters. And yeah, you know, so you could learn bigger words or whatever, but that doesn't make the writing better. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was, that was something for me that I was always really influenced reading other people's writing and saying, gosh, how did they take those same words that I know, but make me afraid or make me excited or make me scared. Mm -hmm. And so the more I read, I think the more influenced I was by kind of really wanting to see how I could do that and to see what, you know, what was in it for me. And so that was a big influence. So I think reading was a big influence. Um, as far as photography goes, for me, it was just, I always just see the world in a very strange way. And so I've always thought that with my writing, I, I take pictures or with writing, I write about things that I can't take a picture of, you know, whether it's an emotion or a feeling. And then with the photography, I always kind of fill in the gaps and I use photography as a way to show the world something that I don't know how to write about. And those are always my biggest things was just trying to clear out the clutter in my brain and show someone else, you know, what I see and how I see it. Yeah, for sure. So the next question is kind of tangentially related, I suppose you could say. And if this is an okay question... Um, They're all okay questions. Okay. <laughs> well, good to know. So how has being on the autism spectrum influenced and or affected your career and passions throughout the years? And have you ever faced discrimination in your field because <clears throat> you were on the autism spectrum? That's a great question. Um, luckily, not a lot of discrimination, which is really nice. Um, I think... There along the way, there was definitely, I don't know if it would be, if I would consider discrimination as much as there were definitely teachers that didn't understand the way that my brain worked. And I think luckily for kids now, 
you know, it's been long enough now. I mean, I think I graduated high school in 1999. So it was a long time ago. And back then there was even less understanding. And so people with brains like mine, it was just, oh, he's just weird or he just doesn't want to do it this way or he always has to challenge the system. And for me, it was just, no, this is the only way I know, you know. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as much discrimination as it was just a lack of patience and kind of an intolerance. Mm -hmm. And that came from, you know, that manifested itself a lot as teachers saying, hey, there's a right way and a wrong way and you're not doing it the right way. And for me, it was more of a, well, no, there's way more ways than right and wrong. This way works too. And it's my way just because it's not the way you're teaching doesn't mean it's necessarily incorrect. But I think the coolest thing, and this is what, like what, what I love about the arts is my brain does work in a weird way and it makes me see the world in a really weird way. But honestly, everything that I've ever written and everything that I've ever photographed have come from that strange way of seeing the world and that strange way of experiencing the world. Because part of my autism is is sensory and it's the way that I my senses process things. And to one person, it might seem like this, but to me, a simple smell can be five miles deep. Do you know what I mean? And, and it, for me, a smell coming through the door or the way the clouds look that to me can give birth to poetry or a new video I want to make or a new photo I need to take. And, and all of that comes from that same place. So I think everything that I, I do and make all come from that same place. And I think it's very important to note that when teachers, when there is a lack of patience, you miss that there's, there's, it's not black and white. There's so much gray area. Yes. That gray area is where so many beautiful things come from. You don't have to be on one side of the totally. You can be completely in the middle. Yeah. I think all the great art in the world comes from the gray area. I think, I mean, and there's, like you said, there's a place for the black and white and there's a place for the factual and the, you know, but there's also a place for a billion different colors all blending together. And I think that's where, that's where the art lies. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have said anything. So. Um, how do you push through or overcome various forms of writer's block? Weirdly, I've never once had writer's block. And it's funny because I was telling you at the book signings, people ask that question a lot. And I think it's a very, very common thing. And I think, honestly, the reason my answer for that the reason I never have writer's block is something that everybody can do and use. I think you get writer's block when you start trying to control the words that come out. And I have this in my, one of my last books, it's um, there's a section that kind of talks about this and it's called conduit, not a conductor. And I think too many people try to be a conductor of the art that they make. And they try to like make it perfect. And they try to make sure it's exactly this and exactly that. And by doing that, they're shutting so many doors that it's only this door will work. And it's kind of what we just talked about, the black and white. Like, only this door will work to make this art. But it's in that gray area. And so, the more of a conduit you are and you just let it pass through you, that's where it all comes from. And so, with my writing, I never sit down and just say, okay, I have to write from this time until this time and it has to be this many words. And it has to be about this. It's never that. It's more, I sit down 
and I just start writing. And even if it's just I type nonsense at the beginning, eventually you get into this place where you're not thinking of the words that you're going to say. They're just coming and then you just write them and then you just watch where they go. And then you're almost following them rather than following you. Yeah. And because of that, I've never run out of things to say because it's just always been... I'm just open. I just open up and here it comes. And that's the way it's always been. I think that's a really great thing to try to focus on because the other thing about being a conduit is then you are really writing what you want to write. Exactly. And not falling into, well, it would get more reads if I exactly this or if this wasn't exactly how this cultural norm. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, you don't fall into that trap. Yep. And I really, like, that's something that if I wasn't careful would be really easy on my end because before I knew that anybody read anything that I wrote, Mm -hmm. it was easy to just be like, oh, I can write whatever I want. No one cares. But, you know, then all of a sudden you start to get 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, you know, Mm -hmm. all these followers. And the next thing you know, you're like, if you thought about it, which luckily I don't, but if you did, it would be easy to be like, wait a second, (laughs) you know, when you add everybody up on all of the different social medias, a million people are going to read this tomorrow. Yeah. That might be intimidating or scary, Mm -hmm. but because I've never tried to control that, it's more of a, this is what has to come out. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. And if they love it, I don't care. This is, it's out of me and I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. So our next question, um, what were you like in middle school and how have you grown and changed since oh, then? Oh, Lord. <laughs> how long ago was that even? I, well, I was just trying to think of that because I graduated high school in 99. So then four years before that, right? It would have been, I would have been in middle school in 1995. Jeez. <laughs> I was disruptive in middle school. <laughs> I was disruptive in all school. Um, you still are. Yeah. And I think part of me being on the spectrum, the way that... I coped was I was so in high school I got voted the class clown and I was the only kid who got a vote because I was just always in trouble I was always in the principal's office I was always breaking rules or pushing the boundaries and I think that was how I coped with not being I was always just so bored in school and I just couldn't I couldn't sit there and just listen to things be like we talked about taught in such a black and white way. When Mm -hmm. if I opened my mouth and explained, wait a second, there's another way of doing this. Then I would, you know, get sent to the principal's office. And so I was always because I just, I don't have a filter. And so middle school and high school, I was in trouble a lot, but weirdly I always got straight A's and but it was that other side (laughs) where it was, I was in trouble a lot. And I think the straight A's are a good show of how there isn't just two ways to do it. You're totally right. Yep. Yep. There's just so much, there's so much more yeah. to being a human being than trying to fall into what everybody wants. You exactly. To. That's so true. Okay. Um, what does a day in your life look like? Before pandemic, um, <laughs> our life was amazing. Uh, it, it was, we would travel probably... How many, what would you say? Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, we would be gone Thursday to Sunday, probably half, half of the year. So maybe every other Thursday to Sunday. Um, we would get out, you know, we wake up at four in the morning on Thursdays and get to the airport and fly somewhere. And then we would fly home sometimes on Sunday night. And 
then we would spend Monday through Wednesday editing the photos that we took and catching up on the writing and and it was amazing and since the pandemic it's just been every day has been like Groundhog Day it's just been the same over and over and over it's so pandemic days are we wake up we have breakfast we take the dog for a walk we do exercise we work we write we do whatever we can to stay busy and then we do it all over again um which is there's i don't know there's a, a beauty to that too but it's been a long time it's been a year now and so it's like okay we can maybe wake up and go on an airplane again soon because yeah. we miss it a lot <laughs> yeah but, and i mean it's, it would be a huge change especially with a career in you know yeah. photography you guys travel around and take wedding photos it was a huge change mm -hmm. for both of us but it's been, I mean, we got to spend more time with the kids. Yeah, we did. And yeah, there's, there's rainbows at the end of every storm. It's just sometimes you're like, okay, I've seen enough. Let's something new. <laughs> so hopefully something new is on the horizon. I think, yeah, I'm hoping. It's coming. We're hoping. We're hoping. Okay. Was it hard to start making a living as a poet? And did you struggle to start writing poems? I never struggled to start writing poems. Um, I think I started that gosh when I was in I think the first ones I really ever wrote were in third grade and then I just kept with it so as far as starting to write the poetry never that was always just something I did uh I never ever intended on making a living with poetry um in fact she's mostly to blame because <laughs> she was the first one who ever said because this is back when Instagram was kind of just getting going and everybody was just using it for cell phone photos of their life. And she said, why don't you just put your poem on Instagram and see what happens? And I started doing that. And that was the, the snowball that started everything. And followers started, you know, it'd be a thousand here. And then next thing you know, it was 10 and then 20 and then 80. And, and once it reached those higher numbers, that's when things started happening and mm -hmm. you know i had an agent call and asked to represent me and then once the agent was on board then we put together a pitch and i think penguin random house and simon and schluster and a few other places kind of got into like a little a bidding war about the book and that's where the first book came from and it was just the weirdest thing i mean it was just it doesn't happen i mean especially for poetry that just doesn't happen you know it, it was a very weird thing but weirdly, now it happens more and a lot more poets are getting published and getting book deals. And I mean, there was a poet on the Super Bowl this year, you know, for the first time ever. And so it's weird how far poetry has come in a commercial space mm -hmm. since then, because I remember when it first started, nobody thought that there would ever be a book deal. Now, I mean, a big book deal for for poetry, it was like, wait a second, poetry? No one cares about poetry. Mm -hmm. Everyone just thought it was a bunch of old dead people that, you know, that wrote poems. And so, yeah. So, I, so that was, the, the weirdest thing was more just how it came out of nowhere. And, it, and I think that's the strange thing, that it wasn't hard. Mm -hmm. It more just kind of fell out of the sky because she told me to post poems on Instagram. Mm -hmm. A really beautiful thing about the internet and social media is as many negative things as there as many negative connotations that can come out of it there's also a lot of benefits when you choose to go on the good side totally of it and you choose to <laughs> what's the word um when you just choose to give yourself to a side of it that or not give yourself but develop yourself yeah. to a side of it that can benefit you and totally 
and now your work has reached hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Which is absolutely incredible. Well, it's just part of why I, as, social media drives me crazy sometimes. And I just think there's, like you said, there's so many negatives about it. But that's also part of why I've been so reluctant to stop doing what I'm doing because I think the most inspiring thing that we've seen over the years from this is just the number of people that it's brought together and how many people have reached out and said such beautiful things like, hey, I was feeling suicidal one night and I read this and, and it saved my life and, I, and now I'm still here because someone said, like, someone like you said there was hope. And, you know, I, and I wasn't in a place to find that, but then I read your poem on Instagram. And so I think that's part of why I'm so hesitant to quit doing what I'm doing is because there is so much negative that's put onto social media every day. If I can be someone who is even just one person pushing back against that and being like, but wait, there's also, you know what I mean? There's also beauty. Even when you're sad, there's beauty in that too. I think that that's so needed because like you said, there's just so much negativity that's spread around. Yeah. So if we can fight that, we should fight that. Yeah. So the next question is about photography. So when and how did you really start getting into photography as a more career choice? Um, that started, I, I think I started messing around with my mom's old Canon AE one film camera back when I was probably, probably freshman year of high school, I started messing around with it and just, you know, working with film and trying it. And then there used to be a photography place here in town called third eye, third eye, yeah. third eye photography. I don't think it's here anymore. Um, and one day I had all these rolls of film and I didn't know where to develop them. I didn't want to go to the CVS or whatever. And so I remember I called and he said, yeah, bring them down. And so he was actually really awesome. And he, he showed me how to use the dark room and the enlarger. And we got to develop all my own film. And that's when I really started liking it because it showed me, I think, as far as beyond the developmental part of it, it that taught me how much more I needed to develop my eye and the way that I see things. And because there's only so much you can do. And that was back before Photoshop was really a thing. But there's only so much you can do after the photo is taken. And it showed me how much more important it was to take the right photo first. And that's when I really got into it and really started thinking, gosh, there you can, five people can look at the same thing. And each five people, each of the five people can see it in such a different way. But you can then show those five people, this is how I saw it. And I thought that was such a beautiful and cool thing. And that's when it really took off for me was, and I've just, I've, I've loved it ever since. And with digital cameras, it got easier and you could really get your eye developed without spending tons of money on film and dark rooms and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think that's also a really awesome way to get to just how started your career i just think it's very great to have gotten the chance to see it in that way as you got started i think with technology we get all these wonderful benefits obviously we don't get to sometimes appreciate some of the small stuff oh you're exactly right yeah no that's so true so question 10 why did you choose to become an artist what was the what was the turning point for you to just this is what i want to do i think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit ago when you said that there are more ways than just two, that it's not just black and white. And 
I think when I really decided was when I just looked at the way that I'd seen so many adults go and I saw so many adults going through the motions and just seeming miserable in their lives and, and working for a living at, in a job that they weren't excited about and they, they didn't want to wake up every day and do. And I just remember in high school hitting this point where I looked forward and everybody was just following the exact same path. It was like, you do this and then you go to this college and then you get this job and then you work until you're 65 and then you retire and then you move to Arizona. And then and I was just like, whoa, 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 that I don't want to do that. I don't want to wait until I'm 65 years old to, to do amazing things or to, you know, put off this life that I'm supposed to be living to when I'm old. And so I remember just resolving I had a job here in town. It was at a golf shop in town. And I remember after I left that job, I remember telling myself, I never want to have a boss again. I want to be my own boss and find that other gray cloudy area in the middle and make a life there. That's where I want to live. And I think I just so naturally went towards the arts that I just, once I felt, once I got into that, I, it just felt like home. And I was like, this is where, this is it. This is where life happens. And so I just promised myself I would never, ever go back. And I think, I mean, even like my tattoos, it was those. And I told my sister the same thing because my sister always wants to get more tattoos, but she's so afraid because she's like, well, what if one day I have to get a job where I can't have them out. And I was like, yeah, but if you get them, then you can't ever have that job and you have to work to get the job you want. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's a good point. But she still is a little cautious. But even that was a way for me to force myself to stay on that road because I, I had to be on it. I couldn't get off that road. And I knew that if I did, I would regret it all my life. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful way to go at it. You need to start living life while you have it. Yep. Um, you never, today is the only day you know you have for sure. Absolutely. And if you don't want to be miserable your whole life, go into something you're passionate about. Yeah. And I think it's hard with the way our society is kind of set up in the way that we push for what we think is the better option, yep. not what we actually as cheesy as it sounds, not what our heart wants. No, you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, even the way education is set up now, the first departments that they cut are the arts, For you sure. know, and they leave in math and science and those are great and those are important. But if you wanted to, like if we were to send out something into a new alien civilization or a new culture, you wouldn't send a, a mathematician to explain what humanity is. You'd send an artist, you would send a poet or a painter or a musician. And, and that's what would explain what, what human beings are. And so, yeah, I understand sometimes you have to cut budgets and stuff like that. But the saddest thing is, I think the truest way to really live a life that you are going to just constantly love is to branch out into those things that aren't so logic based and that force you to find beauty in places that you might not normally go looking. Exactly. So. Um, what is the hardest and easiest aspects of your jobs? Oh man. I think the easiest part for me, weirdly is just, is the writing. It's just because I have so many words in my brain all the time that the, I think that's the easiest part is just writing them down and getting it out of my brain. The hardest part probably is just time. 
It's it's having the time to sit down and spill out those words. And it's having the time to balance, you know, well, wait a minute, if we're gone Thursday till Sunday night late, and then we have to come home and edit all the photos we took while we were gone, wait, when do I get time to sit down and just let it out of my brain? And so keeping all of those plates spinning at the same time, that's probably the hardest part. It's just figuring out a, a place and a time to to let yourself do that. Because there's just so many things you have to do in life that mm-hmm. once it comes time to finding time for the things you want to do, you're like, but wait, I need time for that too. You know what I mean? So that's probably what I would say. And a very similar question after that was very frequently asked as well. What is the favorite part of your jobs? What do you love about them the most? The travel. Just getting to see the world. I think... I don't think there's anything more important or more inspiring than stepping outside of the place that you know. I think the further away from home you get, the more you figure out who you are and the more you figure out both how similar you are to the other people in other places, but more importantly, how different. And I think it's so easy, especially in a place like Montana to just be around the same people who think the same things and who live the same lives as you always have, that you start to think that everything looks one way. Mm -hmm. And only by getting really far outside of that box, do you start to see that there's a million different ways to live a life and there's a million different ways to look physically or to love or Mm -hmm. to, to make art and to make a living. And the more of those you see, the more you understand that like we are a tiny, tiny piece of this puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I think if more people did that and more people experienced that, a lot of the nonsense that we deal with would go away. And the, the school shootings, the hate crimes, the intolerance, all of that stuff would go away because you would see that we're all the same, but we're also so beautifully different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I think a great thing that travel can do for you is, as you said, it can help you grow as a person while making you realize that every single person has their own complex and beautiful totally. story. Yeah. So you learn about yourself without becoming selfish. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, um, how old were you when you got into writing, and how has it impacted your life since you just kind of started? Yeah, I started writing probably in second or third grade, I think was really when I, because I would always, we were supposed to do something in school, but I would just take my own little scratch paper and just do my own thing. And that just never stopped. And I think honestly, maybe the way that I write the things down has changed slightly, but it's the exact same thing. I mean, I even still think of my writing as my escape from the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, you know? So even to, even to this day, when I sit down to write, it's my way of just giving my brain the freedom to just escape from all the other things. And it's like, okay, just go write and just do what you want to do. And then that's what that is. And it's just always been that for me. It's just, so I think, yeah, second or third grade until forever, that's what it's going to be. Awesome. I think it's beautiful that you got to find that escape from the world when you needed it. Yeah, I was lucky. So, what is your favorite style of poem? Ooh. Probably just free verse. Just because it's always been... Rules are a hard thing for me. I'm not good at rules. (laughs) And I've written a bunch. I've, I've written every kind you could imagine. I've written sonnets and haiku and rhyme royale and every pot everything you can imagine I've played with 
But with the exception of haiku, I do write a haiku every day. So I do follow that rule every day. But that's more of like a mental exercise. But my favorite is when I just get to sit down and just let it go. And I don't have to think about how many syllables are in something or the way it lines up or if it rhymes or if it, I just get to let it all go. And that's when I feel like writing is more therapy than anything because you just get to pour it all out and feel better. Yeah, that's wonderful. And where did you grow up and what inspired you to start writing? I, sorry, the second part of the question is kind of in a recurring. No, that's fine. It's very... Do people want to know? No, that's perfect. Well, the two kind of go together, actually. I, I grew up all over the place. I was born in Virginia, but my dad was in professional baseball our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And so until I was about 16, every year it would be kind of the same pattern. We would be home for most of the school year. We would leave a little bit early. Wherever my dad's baseball team was that summer, we would go live there from about the end of May until about first or second week of, week of September. So I was in all over the place. I mean, I've lived in, we tried to count how many houses we've been in in my life and we lost count. And, but that also is what really inspired me with the writing and with what we do now and the travel now, because growing up and being able to see that there was, I mean, we, we lived with the richest rich people you can imagine in California when my dad was with the Dodgers and we saw excess in a way that, you know, when I was 13 or 14, I just remember looking around at people who were driving cars that cost more than any house in Helena. And I just couldn't make sense of that. And then the next summer we would be in the Dominican Republic where people were sleeping on literally on dirt floors and their walls were made out of old cardboard boxes that people were throwing away. And so to see both sides of that coin on the human experience, that's what really kind of showed me that the world is a very, very broad place and that everywhere you look, there's a different story, like you said, and everywhere you look, everyone's the hero of their own story and we're just little characters in it. And I think that's where a lot of the inspiration came from was just understanding, like I said before, our tiny place in a big world. And mm -hmm. that's where all that came from. Yeah, for sure. And the last question that we have for you today is what are some of the main things that you would like to tell aspiring artists, writers, or poets? I would say just don't ever give up because somebody else tells you that it's not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I would say that there's a million different ways to make a life and it doesn't have to look like anybody else's and you don't have to sound like anybody else and you don't have to think like anybody else or dress or act or speak or write or photograph everybody is capable of their own art and the minute that we all start looking the same the minute we're in a lot of trouble and so don't listen to the people that say it's not possible don't listen to the people say that you have to follow a certain path if your heart tells you to do something fight for that thing as hard as you can with everything you have because that's where life happens is in that fight and yeah, just make your own way. And I think that's one of the really great things that a lot of people need to hear because as an aspiring writer, you get told all the time that you're never going to be able to do it because what society thinks you should do or what society wants, yeah. quote, unquote, 
isn't what you could do because nobody's seen you yet. Exactly. Nobody's seen what you're capable of. Exactly. Do what you could do, not what you should. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) No, that's a perfect way to put it. Okay, well, that is great. Um, that about wraps up the interview. Thank you once again so, so much for doing the interview with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and to anyone still listening, thank you for staying to the end. Make sure to check out Mr. Gregson on social media as well as his websites, tylernot.com and chasethelight.com, where you can subscribe to his newsletter. You can also check out several of his books from the HMS Library, including his poetry book, Illumination, Poems to Light Up the Darkness, which will already be out once this is posted, but comes out March 30th. Um, you can and find him on Spotify with his Chases of Light podcast, as well as his Somewhere on the Spectrum podcast with Ashley and James. Um, and if there is anything else you want to say, feel free to say it now. And yeah. I think the only thing I want to say is, is like one day you are going to literally be running the planet. Yes. <laughs> we said it since we, we were I did. like four years old. Yep. <laughs> One day you're going to be the first person ever that's a writer and the president of the planet. Like, it won't be the United States. It'll be like, she'll figure out a way to get the whole planet as one thing, and she will run the show. Yep. Since you were, you and Henry were in kindergarten together. Yeah, we used to say that. Even then, we were like, oh, Eva's got it. Yeah, like, just hold on, because who knows what's coming. (laughs) Of course. So, also, welcome. Well, thank you for listening to these letters. Very first ever interview, and have a wonderful day, Bobcats.